This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of the Bartholomew Town Podcast. It's Bill Bartholomew here with you as today I welcome the editor of the Boston Globe's Rhode Island section, Lila Alphonse. And yeah, this was an interesting conversation on something that's been kind of a broad recurring theme here on B-Town throughout our 350-something episodes, right? I mean, not every episode, but just the nature of the media and where it's going and so on and so forth and disruptors in media, both in the traditional platforms, but then also on social media and, of course, also podcasts. Hello. Um, So that's kind of what we talk about today as well as Lila's backstory, where the Globe Rhode Island is going, and the benefits of competition really in any sector, but particularly in media right here in Rhode Island. So thanks, as always, for hopping on board Rhode Island's podcast of record. Remember to follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Bill Bartholomew, and go ahead and join the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group, and we would certainly appreciate it if you would follow the pod and leave a rating and review wherever you're listening right now, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of the platforms. And if you want to go a step further, of course, for as little as $3 per month, you may help to sustain the independent journalism, entertainment, analysis, and opinion that we've become known for by becoming a B-Town insider. Simply head to patreon.com slash Town or click the support link wherever you're listening right now. All right, so we are here today with someone who is at the helm of really one of the most interesting things that has happened in this media market in a long time. Of course, our listeners are very familiar with Dan McGowan and um, Ed Fitzpatrick and the whole crew at the Boston Globe, Rhode Island, but you were brought in somewhere in the, I don't know what's been now. It seems like it's been like a year and a half. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but since you came on board as the editor of the Globe RI office as part of the expansion that included Carlos Munoz and Brian Amaral and Alexa Gagos. And it's just, it's just exciting to watch because what you're doing over there is innovative and it's also leaning on just classic tenets of journalism and of course with Dan's column opinion as well. So what's it been like? Have you been, is this exciting for you every day? It is so exciting. Um, I learned something new every day, which is really one of the reasons why I got into journalism to begin with. Um, So I've been back at the Globe for about 13 months. And I say back at the Globe because this is actually my second go round. Mm -hmm. Um, I was an editor and a writer there from 1994 to 2010, where I was kind of like the relief pitcher going in different departments, doing different things. Um, So to come back after 10 years away and um, get to run my own show in Rhode Island is just so exciting. Um, Rhode Island is just such a a rich news state, Um, not just in terms of stories. There's tons of stories. It's a crazy news state in terms of stories, but also in terms of readers. People like their news. They're interested. They care. You know, they really, really care about what's going on in the state. And so to be able to jump in there and um, look at the stories that aren't being told, look at the places where reporting's a little thin and and fill in those gaps is um, really challenging for one thing, but really just fun in another for another thing. I guess that's the key now in in terms of content is just filling voids and finding a space that or a lane that is either unoccupied or underserved mm-hmm. and then just owning that space. And there are certain, particular stories that that come to mind. Of course, Amaral on the coastal access stuff and things like that. But 
But even in the day-to-day news cycle, how is your approach different than, say, obviously the Providence Journal, but even some of the TV stations and radio and so forth that's, that's out in the market? What makes you decide, okay, we're going this direction and we're going to quadruple down on it? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, it's a combination of things, I think. I have an incredible team. I really do. And they're on the ground every day. They're Rhode Islanders in some cases, and they lived there for ages and might as well be Rhode Islanders. And in other cases, they've been there for just a couple of years, but they're on the ground every day. So when they come to me and say, hey, Lila, this is what I'd like to work on, I listen. They've got amazing ideas. Um, we The funny thing about being digital first, and Globe Rhode Island, you'll see our stories in the print product fairly often, but everything is up online. Um, So it's not yesterday's news tomorrow, it's today's news right now. Um, And I think that makes a really big difference in the way we approach certain stories. Um, I'm not really interested in covering the police broader stuff. There are certain things that are just better told on TV. There are certain things that are just better handled um, in different ways. And, And some crime reporting can be like that. But it's really the stuff that impacts a community, the stuff where, where, um, Maybe other Rhode Island outlets have reported on it years and years ago and don't really think of it as new news anymore um, that I think can be really interesting. And coastal access and shore access is is a great example of that. Um, There's a lot there. People care about it and things have changed. So it's that change that I'm interested in. Um, But again, with the digital first thing, aside from everything being more immediate, you're competing not just with whatever local outlets there but with everyone who can log in at any time, you're competing for their attention, you're competing for their interest. So I think it's really important to give them something that's worth their while and that makes them feel like it's worth their while to come back. Um, I firmly believe that an interesting story transcends location, but at the same time, I'm grateful to know that there are so many interesting stories right here. Yeah, no question about it. And you mentioned crime. I'd be remiss to not mention Amanda Milkovitz of the mm-hmm. one of the original three from from the Globe RI and and of course yeah there are crime stories but yeah, it's it's a lot different than saying you know oh, we're chasing fire trucks or okay we're sitting in the office with a police scanner and mm-hmm. oh, somebody carjack somebody in on the Cranston Providence line let's get McDam McGowan out there ASAP to figure out what's going on <laughs> I mean that's and and that's almost like yes that, that's that is kind of yesterday's news yeah there's an a, an important element to know what's going on in your community but a lot of the time that's i mean that's designed to sell mattresses and and cars and things like that too that shock value news that's exactly it and people do want to know what's happening they want to know what's happening around them if they heard sirens they want to know what's up but um i think there can be a threshold set for some of that stuff i'm not sure every single person wants to know every single one alarm fire That happens in the state. Um, But I do think that if there's a police officer involved in whatever the incident is, they want to know about it. I think if there's been another homicide in Providence, that that's worth keeping track of. Um, So so I set the threshold kind of high for stuff like that. But you do still have to keep your ear to the ground because you never know when that one alarm fire is actually going to turn out to be something more interesting did someone burn the popcorn or, you know, was there a meth lab in the basement? You never right. know. Exactly. It's always, it's, it's always following the, the second and third wave of information on those stories that makes exactly. it exciting. Exactly. What, when you think about digital first platforms, 
obviously here as a podcaster first, you know, I do other stuff now, but, but I started out just didn't know anybody and just started yakking into this microphone with guests and posting it on Spotify and Apple. Now people have discovered it. There's a large concentration of activity on TikTok. I don't know if it's necessarily pure news or journalism, but to an extent there is. It, the big brands, though, if you're talking Boston Globe, if you're talking even the TVs, things like that, there's still something there that you'll never get in an independent outlet or a person that, that just happens to have an iPhone and be in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. But at some point, that that could change. That could shift. And, and all of a sudden, the um, rubber stamping of a big outlet is worth less to the average consumer how do you fend that off? Wow. Um, I think if I had the magic formula, I, I would be probably working for everywhere, everyone, everywhere at once, and uh, <laughs> you know, would never have to really think about it ever again. Um, but I think that um, it comes back down to the story itself. I think mm-hmm. people are um, overall less brand loyal than they used to be. Um, I think they care more about the content than who's putting it out. And there are pluses and minuses to that. I mean, it can be really scary and detrimental when they care about the content to the point where they're looking for confirmation instead of information, and they're just seeking out whoever shares their worldview. Um, but I think that that probably happens on the fringes, but you still end up with the vast majority of people who just want an interesting story. They want interesting information. They want analysis. They want to know what's going on that directly impacts them. And that's where there's opportunity. Um, same with podcasting. You're competing for people's time and attention. Um, and you need to be where they are. And so being out on Spotify, being on you know um, Apple, being Google, any, any of the, the different platforms, there's so many. That was another crash course for us when we launched um, Rhode Island Report. There are so many platforms. Um, and I think the old way of doing it early on would be to throw a player into the news story and assume people will find you because you're the brand and people go to the brand, but that's not how it works anymore. Um, they might find you through the article, which they came in through organically over search. They might find you on the platform where they were looking at um, something new, looking for something new to listen to, the place where they already get the other podcasts they already like. Um, they may come in because they saw it on social media. So you really have to go where your viewers and listeners and readers are. And I think that's really challenging. Um, there are some brands that do it really well. I don't think you can, you know, glance at anything without seeing New York Times or Washington Post yeah. there already, right? Even even TikTok, which uh, I'm an old, according to my teenagers, so um, <laughs> I don't get TikTok. But but there are multiple sides to TikTok, and there is news TikTok except what's there is not breaking news. And I think a lot of old school journalists think of news in terms of breaking news um, when really it's information. Mm -hmm. It's teaching someone more about something in which they're interested, but they don't really know where to go. Um, And there's so much misinformation out there that that's where the brand makes sense. Um, If your brand is trustworthy, people will believe you. And um, that's a big responsibility but that's something to keep in mind with anything you put out there, especially if you're putting it where your consumers are. I completely agree. And, and it is interesting. TikTok, I only signed up for TikTok like a month ago and I'm already kind of, I'm, I'm watching it. And I'm like, I like this better than 
any of the other social media outlets other than Twitter. I love Twitter, but Mm -hmm. in the sense of there's like two things that work on here, either just complete nonsense, pranks, comedy, impressions, whatever type of humor and storytelling, like straight up short form, 15 to 60 second, maybe you can stack videos, but and on that side, it's almost like, okay, well, well, a certain group of people have this attention span that is extremely reduced. Mm-hmm. They might not listen to an entire podcast or read an entire article, but maybe they'll consume that brand in a 15-second bite, kind of like Roadmap, where mm-hmm. Dan, to me, that's like one of the most exciting things that, that, that has happened here in Rhode Island since like the creation of electricity. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like in a lot of ways, because- Seriously, it it allows for people in my life anyway that don't watch the news. They they couldn't. They have no idea what what's going on in Channel Ten or Twelve. I mean, to them, that's just like totally outdated. They don't listen to the radio. Maybe they don't read the paper. But now we can talk about like, oh man, you know, to see those polling numbers, like you know, Nelly is looking a lot better than we thought in this gubernatorial race, and have that conversation. And it all stems from the same Boston Globe that a spotlight deep dive investigation might feature or might, might, might present to a person. Exactly. Roadmaps. Um, it's really smart. It's one of those things that gives you just enough for, uh, of what you need to know. So you can talk about it at the virtual water cooler, since not yeah. everyone is in person at the water cooler anymore or the bubbler, depending on where you are. Um, <laughs> yeah. but it's also, um, an access point to get into lots of different other things. If you want to do, whether it's that deep dive into the investigation or whether it's the latest um, sports scores, because it's, it's roadmap, it's Rhode Island, but it's also this key to the rest of the stuff that's bundled in at the globe. Um, There's really fantastic stuff in other departments that I can feature like our, our living arts department and the amazing cooking stuff and, and uh, movie reviews and all of that, which are um, regional. I mean, they apply to everyone in the region, but you're getting into it through this new email newsletter that's showing up in your inbox with the thing you need to know that day. So yeah. it's really kind of brilliant. No, it's great stuff. What do you, as a as an editor, where do you get your news? Um, that's an, uh, one of my favorite questions, actually. Um, I'm a voracious reader. My, my mm-hmm. kids uh, say that I eat books and I eat words. <laughs> Um, like a snack on it. Um, so for my news, it's the Globe, um, New York Times, Washington Post. Um, I read things that that perhaps people who know me think are a little counterintuitive. I look at the Federalist. I look at uh, the Washington Times. I try to make sure I'm looking at multiple sides of a story because there's always more than just two. Um, I don't have time. I'm not going to pretend that I have time to sit there and read everything cover to cover. There's just cloning technology has not kept yeah. up and yeah. I have, I still have a couple kids at home and, and my dad and lots of stuff and a husband who's a saint. So, so, um, but I try to go beyond the headlines and I try to make sure I'm going beyond the headlines from just one place. Um, I don't honestly get a ton of my news from TV. I don't, mm-hmm. um, because I find that broadcast news, um, National broadcast news, like the big three, the CNNs and Fox News and MSNBC, tend to skew more towards um, preaching to their own choirs. They're giving up the information and the angles that their um, consumers want and not necessarily the whole story. Um, In fact, when people complain about the media, they're usually talking about cable news. 
Um, Because the media is not a monolith. There's so many different parts to it, so many different sides. Um, I love PBS in general, Rhode Island PBS, but also GBH. And and not just because I'm a secret, not so secret Downton Abbey fan, but because, (laughs) um, because you tend to get less bias there. Sure, it leans left, but they're looking at stories through a very different lens than CNN and MSNBC or Fox News is. And I find that really interesting. I completely agree. I haven't added television since 2006. And it was interesting because, uh, and I certainly will grab a, an audio clip or watch, or go to a Fox News website or something like that. But I was on the radio this this past week. We're taping on, on the Monday before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and on Friday when the Rittenhouse verdict broke. And so I was hosting yeah. and, and trying to break that all down. And I've got like every, you know, every news outlet you can think of their take on it and I'm breaking it down and I'm taking calls and I'm hearing people that are offering analysis on the phones that just it's not in front of me from any of the print or mm-hmm. or digital news sources that I'm looking at. And I realized and I started to ask the question, like, what, what have you been hearing about? Like, in all seriousness, what have you been told about this story on Fox, MSNBC and CNN? Because that is something that I just I should probably have a better sense of, but I don't. And it's a weird yeah. thing. I don't I don't know what you're what you, what bubble you're in here because it's not the same one I'm in by reading New York Times or Wall Street Journal accounts of the exact same story. It is really bizarre in a lot of ways. And I think I think there are several different reasons for it. Um, one of which is I don't think people follow a story from beginning to end. I think it's a really old school way of assuming your viewers or your readers are informed. They didn't read the first story, then the second story, then the third story, then the fourth story, then the verdict. Um, I've had really good friends who are extremely smart, who follow the news, who will post on Facebook, what was he even doing there? Like, guys, his his mom drove him. <laughs> Let's mm-hmm. You know, we that was covered. That's new. You see a lot of the anti-media things on social media. The media won't tell you this, but um, you got that information from the media. The media was telling you this. You weren't paying attention. So I think that a lot of people um, fill in the blanks with their own assumptions, look for the things that make the most logical sense to them. And then um, there's so much access now to news, but also to platforms where you can share your opinion that the line between opinion and reporting has really blurred. Um, and I, I mean, I blame my own industry for that. What well, you can't take a, a New York Times reporter and put them on CNN and have them talk about what they think about something and then assume that everyone understands the difference between that analysis and the original reporting. They don't. The same way people don't necessarily realize they're reading an opinion piece on the Washington Post unless they look up at the URL and they see opinion in there and people aren't looking at, they're not breaking down the URL before they start reading. Um, So you get a lot of people kind of sharing theories and having it presented as fact. And it gets harder and harder to discern that. It it, it really does. And this episode is brought to you by Elmwood Songwriters Club, presented by B-Town. It's a monthly showcase featuring seven artists from all around the region. With the order drawn at random, each artist performs two songs. You can find details about when the next event is here in Providence by following me on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew. Yeah, I, I, I faced that challenge myself because 
here on the podcast, it's usually conversational, but I'll get into an opinion type scenario. But then over on Rhode Island PBS, I'm I'm doing the weekly show and that's journalism. I've got Barbara Dari of 60 Minutes and Bartley Price of ABC News as my editors. And it's like, no, that is journalism. And then I'm over on WPRO and it's like, no, that is just 100% opinion, maybe analysis <laughs> and opinion. And it's, it causes an identity crisis for me. And I, I just have to trust that the audience um, can distinguish based on what mode I'm in, knowing full well, like you said, the most of the time they can't. So it's, it is a weird thing. And it's not, it's yeah. not what I expected when I started everything that I'm doing, but now it's almost too late because once you start giving opinion, how do you work back from that? It'll always be there in people's minds and on the internet for people to find. I think being really clear about your intent and about which mode you're in can be helpful. Yeah. Um, what you just described though, is an extremely fantastic example of how the media is not a monolith. Yeah. Right. You've got all those different outlets, some of them in the same form, but really different content, really different goals, really different audiences. Um, and and uh, and it's all really interesting stuff. And I think that's one reason why you're able to jump from one to the other so successfully. Um, and I think that your most devote, devout, sorry, devoted listeners yeah. um, can probably pick it apart with their context clues. But but I think someone coming in cold can sometimes struggle. Yeah, I feel for them. But it's like that no matter what, I think. It's like that when you're dealing with TV news. It's like that when you're dealing with print or with pixels, since since not everything is printed on paper with ink anymore. Um, I think that people can pick up on what it should be, but not always. So it's really important to label it as clearly as possible. I completely agree with that. Absolutely. Um, well, last couple of minutes here, mm -hmm. the, the idea of Rhode Island, or, or I guess Providence specifically being... It, it's a two paper town for sure. And because of what the globe RI does, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it's primarily digital and so on and so forth, but just in terms of the, 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 the brand itself, the Providence journal, you know, sometimes reporters will bicker online or whatever between the globe and, and, and the projo. And I think I've seen you in one particular <laughs> scenario like that, but but like, do you get the sense, because I, I genuinely believe it's important to have two papers. First of all, they cover a lot more of the, the fire alarm type news, but you know, I wish that there, I'm glad like when the Rhode Island report launched at, at the globe, some people were like, oh man, are you upset about that? I was like, no, this is great. I, there should be like, as a WPRO person, I want Publix radio to be there as a, as a, you, you want that competition and it, mm -hmm. it do you, but do you want that competition or would you be happy to see the Globe RI replace the Projo as the paper of record in town? Oh, I have great respect for what they do at the Providence Journal. Yeah. Always have. I mean, I grew up in print. Um, I started at the Globe, like I said, 94. I was fresh out of Syracuse University. I was younger than some of the co-ops. I grew up here um, as a journalist, reading everything I could and learning everything I could. So my intention is 100% not to replace anyone. It's to fill in um, the blanks. It's to, to make sure that Rhode Island doesn't become a news desert like some other um, communities have. Rhode Island doesn't really seem to be in danger of that because we've got great outlets on TV and online that are, um, are also working to fill those same kind of voids. 
but I believe a rising tide lifts all boats. I believe that having such great journalists at the Projo and at WPRI and at um, Rhode Island PBS Weekly and at all the other shows, um, I think that that makes our team better. We are, we, you can't rest on your laurels. You can't just assume you're the only game in town and everyone will come to you. It makes us dig deeper and work harder. And I think in the end, it serves the communities better. Um, I, when we launched Rhode Island Report, we were pretty careful. We didn't want to duplicate anything that was already there. We wanted to give people something that was a little bit different. Um, we wanted, uh, well, I personally wanted Ed's accent on there because it's yeah, fabulous. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but we wanted to be able to talk about the news without it just being a, a recap of what happened the previous week. We wanted to bring the newsmakers, the interesting people on so that you could get um, kind of a better sense of where they're coming from. The story, not just the story behind the story or the notebook dump, but um, to get a perspective that you wouldn't find by just reading or by just watching or by just listening to any one other place. Um, and I think we're doing we're doing pretty well with that. I think we've had some really fascinating guests on from, you know, people who run haunted houses out of their yard to people who are the executive director at museums with exhibits you haven't thought about to the governor and the the secretary of commerce and you know, um, to the head of the Black Caucus, uh, there's so much. And um, that's what I mean when I say Rhode Island's such a great new state. There is so much here. Um, and I think it's I think it's fair to acknowledge that other outlets like the Projo aren't what they were 20, 30 years ago. No outlet is. Oh, absolutely. Really. Yeah. The whole industry has changed. The whole landscape's changed. You know, the way people consume news has changed. 20, 30 years ago, you weren't getting alerts on your phone every time something happened. I mean, your phone was just your phone. It was attached to your wall, probably, unless you were fancy. And then, you know, and you didn't have um, social media with people sharing. You didn't have community forums where people would pick apart stories. There was, it was just a different place. And I think that um, when you have owners that have changed their focus and aren't maybe as interested in serving the community through journalism and looking for different ways to profit that can hollow out certain endeavors. Um, but I do think that, that there's more opportunity for cooperation than there as than there is for um, well, cooperative competition, I suppose, than there is for um, a need for an adversarial relationship. I, I think there's plenty of news out there for everyone and plenty of opportunity out there for everyone. Yeah, I, I totally agree that it's it makes for, and I think we saw that in COVID nineteen, especially mm-hmm. you know being inside those press conferences and the camaraderie that was there, and everyone had their story and everyone had their their angle for the day, and there certainly were moments where it, it could be a little bit tense, but for the most part, it was like collectively mm-hmm. we have a we have an important mission here, which is to inform the public about what's going on with this, frankly, story of our lifetime and lifetimes and mm-hmm. you really saw at least from at least i really saw okay there's you know the, the, there's a reason why a, a channel 10 and a channel 12 reporter are sitting next to each other and and not comparing notes but having mm-hmm. a dialogue about what just happened in a press conference or a scenario um because they're going to present it in their own way they're going to have their own audiences but at the end of the day that competition, like you said, cooperative competition, which I love, which is how athletes improve. It's how artists improve. 
it's how journalism improves as well. Exactly. I mean, the thing about journalism, we're in this era where people like to blame the media for everything. You're getting yeah. too much of one thing or not enough of another thing. Um, the media, they're supposed to be your the eyes and the ears of the people in places where the people either can't go or don't have time to go or aren't are being prevented from going. Um, that's why it's so important to have those eyes and ears in the room and to to get your news from different sources so you're getting multiple perspectives. If I walk into any room, let's say an auditorium, my view from the back where I'm sitting by the door after slipping in is going to be really different compared to the view of someone who's on the stage, someone who's in the orchestra pit, someone who's in the lighting booth, and someone who's still in the hallway. Um, but if you gather all of those perspectives, you'll get a really full picture of what's going on. And I think it's so important. You can't get that if you only have one, one person there. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town, 